Uh, would somebody read 13 to 17? A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by a sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has continual peace. Better is a little fear, a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Now, verse 13 is something we do find a few times in Proverbs, but I don't know that it's necessarily the way we usually think of things. He's talking about the having a smile on your face or having a broken spirit. Now there's a big difference between you know having a smile on your face and being depressed. Which would you rather have? Smile. Now the question is how do you get that? What will make you smile as opposed to being depressed? A joyful heart or a sad heart? What do we usually think will make us smile or make us depressed? Circumstances. Circumstances. Do you see the difference? What you are on the inside has a lot more impact on your emotional state than your circumstances. We say, well, how could I be happy? This happened to me. It's not what happens to us that affects our emotions. It's what's inside of us that affects how we deal with what happens to us. How your spirit is, your heart is, you know, is what affects your appearance. It's what makes you smile or, or be sad. Um, we're controlled from the inside out, not from the outside in. So what happens to a man of sad heart who gets better circumstances? He finds something else to be sad about. It's not the circumstance, not the environment. It's his spirit. It's his outlook. Uh, so heart Trump's circumstances. Don't forget that. Comments or questions about that? That's a really good proverb. Yeah, Jacob. It's really weird because like all of these proverbs have been talking about the heart and like what's in our heart. And it's really weird because a lot of times that's the last thing we want to show people. Um, and that's what we're the scaredest to show people because we try to put on images and everything. It's really cool just to seeing through, looking through this and seeing that we need to be showing people our heart. And sometimes it's even the last thing we really think about. Yeah. You know, we're all into how can I get my situation to change instead of how can I change me? Changing me is a lot more important than changing my environment and it'll make a lot more difference. That's, you, you, you know, we're always saying, well, this bad thing happened and that bad thing happened. Woe is me. Well, what makes me woe is not what happened. It's me. That's, you know, that doesn't seem right. But think about, do you know somebody who's truly, you know, content, who's truly smiling, who truly is a, is a joyful and, and well-adjusted person. Can you think of somebody like that? <laughs> you all thinking of somebody? Think of somebody if you can. Maybe you don't know anybody like that, but you know. Uh, uh, now, about that person, do they always have wonderful circumstances and everything always is wonderful in their life? No, it's not that. Maybe they have worse circumstances than other people you know that are always depressed. It's the inside, not the outside, that does that. That's the lesson in this proverb. Questions? Yeah, Jacob. 
No, Paul is one who really gives us a good example. I mean, I think of Philippians just over and over and over again. He talks about rejoicing. And he talks about you know, the situation he's in. You know, he's like torn between you know, dying and living. And you know, he's in a horrible position. He's in prison. He's about to be put, you know, he doesn't know if he's going to be put to death or not. But, you know, all throughout that, you know, even when he hears about his brethren who are, you know, like teaching, but for the wrong reasons, you know, all this discouragement in that way, you know, he still has a, you know, now whether it's like a faith in God, but to, you know, be able to rejoice in that. And I think it's a really good lesson for us. Definitely. He said, in whatever state I am, I've learned to be content. Matt? Yeah. Um, thing about being rich, it's not about our circumstances on which we were born into, you know, being in a, a uh, you know, living in 90210, that area, the rich people. Or if we're poor, it's all about how we are richly blessed inside with God. Um, a poor person could be in a much, you know, his circumstances is he's living in a, a cardboard box, but he's praising God for the many blessings that he has. And that's that's the true definition of rich. Amen. Eric. I heard somebody say when they were talking about like getting divorced and remarried so you'd be happier and everything that like marrying somebody else won't help if the problem's you, you know, because you're still in the marriage. <laughs> Yeah, that is kind of an issue, isn't it? Uh, so, like, it doesn't matter where you are, where your circumstances are, you are the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's hard to get away from you. <laughs> Philip. I'm going back to what Jacob was saying about Paul. He says later in chapter 2, when he's talking about Epaphroditus and how he was close to death, and he said, um, he talks about if he would have died, he would have added sorrow upon sorrows. So these circumstances that he had, they were sad. I mean, he was living a troubled life. But he said, you know what? All this bad stuff can happen, but my mind is going to be the mind of Christ. And just being a servant. And that's how he rejoiced. He didn't, the circumstances, he just put them aside. And he says, I count carnal things but loss. I mean, because they don't matter in the end. What matters is if you're going to rejoice and be able to get to heaven no matter what. I'm just not at all sure we would think it would be possible to rejoice if we'd gone through what Paul was going through, and yet he did. Susie? He also rejoiced that it helped to spread the good news in his circumstance, from the prison cell. So that shows you what his real focus was on, and that helped him rejoice. Dan? I think that's the part where God's really looking at us. You know, God's not very impressed with you know, our situation or our drama or our problems is really interested in, in how we're going to handle those things. I think it's interesting as, as an example of that, like from Job, you know, you have seven, eight verses talking about Job's situation and what happened to him. The other 40 plus chapters are, okay, what's Job going to do about it? You know, and so that's something that in our lives, like, when these things happen, God's not really concerned about that. He's more concerned about our reaction, our response, our attitude after that happens. Good point. Yeah, very good. I look at verse 14. The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. Now, there's several things, again, about that proverb. It's amazing how much there is to meditate on in a simple proverb. One thing is, what is it that we're trying to fill ourselves up with? Knowledge or folly? What are we... What are we seeking? You know, what, what do we look to as our food? Do you try to get knowledge or do you try to get folly? And then you can think about the contrast between seeking knowledge and feeding on folly. A, a man who seeks has what in his life? A goal. A goal. His purpose. The one who's feeding on folly, the idea is he's just kind of randomly nibbling on whatever comes along. You know, are you the kind of person who just kind of, you know, eats whatever's, whatever's there? You know, just kind of listen to and swallow whatever happens. Are you seeking the right source of information? Are you really purposeful about it? Because if you just kind of listen to whatever, whatever comes along, you just kind of take whatever, whatever it is, well, you're going to be a fool. 
the, the wise man seeks knowledge. That's where his mind is. That's where he's, he's focused on. Um, and then, do you see the contrast between the mind of the intelligent and the mouth of fools? The intelligent man, the wise man, he's trying to learn. And the fool is seeking to What? If the mouth of fools feeds on folly, then what does the fool like to do? Talk. The wise man likes to learn, the fool likes to speak. And that back to what we said before. And all of that's in that proverb. Uh, so, you know, that, that's really cool. And so, what happens to the wise man as he goes along the road? How does he become? Wiser. Because he kind of seeks what uh, is compatible with his nature. So a wise man gets wiser. And a fool? He gets foolisher. Yeah. That's the way that tends to... Because he seeks foolish stuff that fits him. So you tend to just get farther and farther apart. Comments and questions on 14? Sometimes you see examples of that. I was just thinking some of the things you've been saying about that, but the young people, one of the things I've seen in several people is is how they come to some realization. You know, it's like I've discovered this thing. Yeah, I was really weak and I wasn't doing well, and I was, and suddenly I discovered this is what God wants. And it's exactly the opposite. It's, it's he didn't go to wisdom, he didn't go to anything, and try to you know even to God's word or anything like that. It was like suddenly within myself I came to this this conclusion uh, you know and, and this is the answer and let me tell you all about it <laughs> yes so if you if you come you know with some uh, amazing uh, revelation from yourself think again before you let anybody know about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right well what you'll probably achieve is what you're seeking and if it's not knowledge and wisdom you're seeking it's probably not knowledge and wisdom you're going to come up and with. And it's amazing how so many times the result or the realization fits with exactly what they were wanting to do. Exactly. Exactly. Somehow you, you, you find is true what you were looking to find is true. Yeah. That's exactly right. So we just kind of keep growing in our own nature. Either wise or foolish. Good, good comments. Alright, look at verse 15. You know, all the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. That's kind of building on verse 13. Um, you know, the state of your heart affects how you look at the circumstances. If, you know, you're a, uh, a person who is negative and depressed, all your days are bad. If you're a cheerful person who's got a heart of wisdom, how are your days going to be? Yeah, continual feast. No matter what you have to eat, it's your heart that shapes how you see the circumstances. It's, it's a very similar thing to what he says in 13. It's really the next step of that. So, it doesn't really matter what happens if you've got a cheerful heart. It's going to be good. In whatever state I am, I've learned to be content. So it's so much more the heart than it is what happens. Comments or questions on that? 16 and 17 are very clear and concrete. It would be better to have little with the fear of the Lord, or it'd be better to have a dish of vegetables with love, than to have great treasure and turmoil with it, or a fattened ox with hatred. What's that saying? Where it 
comes from is more important than the quantity. Yes. Relationships matter more than things. You know, if you've got turmoil and hatred, it doesn't make any difference how good the food is. You know, as someone has said, it is better to have a hamburger at McDonald's with somebody who loves you than to be entertained at the Waldorf by somebody who hates you. Isn't that true? You know, it, it's much better to eat simple where, and have love in the relationships than eat a feast where everybody's fighting and quarreling and there's no peace. The, the, the relationships and the love. You know, a meal is a feast because of the friendship of the people who are eating it together, not because of the food. Do you agree with that? Are you old enough to think about this? Most of you like to eat, especially the male of the species here. <laughs> you might get, actually, you guys may like to eat enough. It doesn't matter what it is. But some of you actually kind of like good food. You know. Would Think about this. Would you rather have a spread of the best food of what you most like? Some of you, I don't know if you answer this way I would. But, but best food that you most like by yourself? Or would you rather have rather simple food with somebody you really like to be around, eating it together with? That might be hard for some of you, but I think this problem would say, you know, the fellowship's worth more than the food. They all come here for the food. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Breakfast casserole. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You know, really, from that perspective, would you rather have a great meal or would you rather have a spiritual banquet? You know? It, it means more. So I think that's helpful. And uh, think about that. Some of, some, one of these days, you're going to have a family. Many of you are going to have children. What do you want your children to... What do you want to most give your children? Knowledge of the Bible. Knowledge of the Bible. Yeah. Love. Breakfast casserole. Breakfast casserole. <laughs> Stable yeah. place to come home to. Stable, secure home. How about a nice house, lots of toys, designer clothes, new car, you know, all that. Where does that come in the list of what you want to give them? Way down there? Yeah. Should be. So what's going to happen, guys, when... You got a chance to do a lot of overtime at work so that you could buy your kids some more toys. Or you could go home and spend time with them, playing with things that aren't, you know, very expensive at all. Which would be more important? Which which would you choose to do? You know, again, the relationships are more important than the stuff. Don't forget that when you're raising your kids. You think about it in your family. If you've got a decent family at all, would you rather, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but would you rather your dad spend time with you or that he give you more stuff? That may depend on the nature of your dad. If you've got a good dad, you'd rather have time than you wouldn't stop. Alright, uh, comments or questions through 17. Yes, Philip. Uh, I think it's intriguing in 17 that you have this dinner bird, which is just, that's your assessment. You're just going to get by with that. It's a necessity. And then love is associated with a necessity. And it's so important to be giving that and to get it. I mean, you can't even describe how important love is. I mean, it talks about in, uh, in 2 Corinthians how God's grace is sufficient. And God's grace is manifested through Christ's love that he showed for us. I mean, it gets us through. And that's something that we need to meditate on, is how much we love and how much we are loved by God. Amen. Take you know, one, thing to think, you know, one thing I think about, at least, is uh, First Peter. You know, it talks over and over and over again 
about things that are perishable and things that are also un- imperishable, and about how we should be searching things out with the Spirit. I think of, you know, whatever it is we're doing, whether it's like a hobby or maybe it's like, you know, like relationships we build. You know, we're building those things on things that are perishable or imperishable, you know, like, you know, you know our soul's, our soul's well-being. Exactly. Good points, John. And also thinking about Paul and how he was content with everything. Uh, you know, we don't need all these fancy phones that are coming out nowadays and stuff like that to be happy. You know, your only your joy is only limited by your imagination. Excellent thought. Absolutely. Yeah. I do like verse fifteen. Uh, I think it's interesting many times I think uh, or just I follow the thing. I just thinking that a joyful heart, just you know, well, you know, if you're joyful then then you'll ignore or you kind of block out all of the tough life that's around you. When really it describes here, it doesn't just ignore it, 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 it enhances it. You know, makes it better. So it's not like it's like, okay, I'm joyful, and so I'll ignore this, this, and this, and this, and this, and I won't look at anything because I'm joyful. But really, having that joyful perspective enhances and brings the beauty of life to your vision. Good point. That's a good comment. All right, look at the next section, 18 to 27. A hot tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. The way of the lazy is a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. A wise son makes the father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. A man has joy and answer, and how delightful is a timely word. The path of life leads upward for the wise, that he may keep away from the shield from shield below. The Lord will tear down the house of the proud, and he will establish the boundary of the widow. Evil plans are an abomination to the Lord, but pleasant words are pure. How far? Twenty-seven. But he he who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. Now I, I like verse eighteen. Think about what makes for strife versus peace. And you think, well, when this topic comes up, it's going to be strife. When this topic comes up, it'll be peace. No, that's not what makes peace and strife. (coughs) What makes it either peaceful or or quarrelsome? How quick you are to meet Yeah, the kind of person you're dealing with. A hot-tempered man, what's going to happen with him? Exactly. It's not because of the subject. It's because he's quarrelsome. He gets mad all the time and he fights about everything. On the other hand, a man who's slow to anger, he'll calm the dispute. You know, quarrels depend a lot more on people than the subject matter. And you see that? You see some people that there's always a fuss and a feud when they're there. You see some people that they, they, they calm the fusses and the feuds. They bring peace and stability. You know, there's, you're a little young maybe to think about this, but it's true. There are some people especially in areas where there are quite a few churches that have problems getting along with people in each church they've been at for a couple of years so they've gotten mad and gone to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. You know, there's some people in our general area that I have no idea how many churches they've been at in the time I've known about them, which has been a while, but it's two or three, sometimes four years in this one, and a fight, and you go to the next one. They've been back around to one or two of them in the course of the time. You know, and it's like, should it ever dawn on you? Maybe you're the problem? If you're always fighting and quarreling with everybody and everything's always a dispute, maybe the problem isn't the kind of people you're around. Maybe the problem is you. That's really what he's saying by this. Comments and thoughts? The common factor in all your failed relationships is you. 
<laughs> That's a great line. I like that. I remember that one. I like verse 19. What's the way of the lazy man like? It's like a hedge of thorns. What's that say? Yeah, why? Why is his life like hedge of thorns? Thick. Thick, yeah. What's, what's the image there? Yeah. Why not? He's too lazy to cut down the hedge of thorns. His laziness keeps him from being able to, to have a smooth path. You know, if you don't trim the bushes, eventually you can't get through. And the guy who's too lazy to trim the bushes, then eventually his life just gets so complicated, there's so many problems, there's so much stuff, that, that his way is all complicated and difficult, and it keeps being annoying and pricking him in the, in the skin all the time. You know, it's so much smoother to be diligent. Uh, the path of the upright is a highway. You know, he, he, he works hard. He's ethical because he bears his share of the load. He clears out the brush. He's got a smooth path. And, and people think, why does everything good happen to this person? Why does it seem like his life is always smooth? Well, maybe he's not sitting around doing nothing all the time. He's getting busy and clearing the path for himself, so he's got a highway to walk on, to, to drive on, or whatever. Laziness will complicate your life. And usually, lazy people just sit around blaming other people. Or sit around just crying the blues and, you know, feeling sorry for themselves because everything bad always happens to me. And I don't know why. Everybody just mistreats me. Always have bad luck. Sometimes lazy people are, you know, oh my, every job I've had, they, they treated me wrong. They messed me over. You know, I'm just, you know, every, every place I go, everybody just, you know, uh, other people get me in trouble and I get fired. There's more reasons to get fired than just laziness, but that's one of them. Uh, Start looking at yourself. If everything's all complicated in our life, sometimes it's because we haven't had enough drive and initiative to clear out the hedges. Isn't that a cool thought? It's really practical. Thoughts, comments? Yeah, Melissa. I think it goes back to talking about like in verse 13 where it talks about the way that our heart is. Like if our heart is always negative, then we're not going to have <laughs> The easy path. We're always going. We're going to make ourselves find the hard way to do it, just because we don't want to be. We don't want to think of it in a positive way. And so, a lot of the way that we get through things determines, or is determined because of our attitudes. Mm-hmm. Good point. Tess. Um, my sister got a job at Taco Bell, and like she's been working a lot and everything. And I guess they like her because they work her forty plus hours a week. And uh, she came home one day and she's like, she's like, man, my managers are so annoying. And I watched it. Well, I was, you know, working the counter and everything. And I look outside and I was smoking for an hour. And she's like, and I work, I try to work as hard as I can. And it's kind of funny how they're out there smoking. And I think it really frustrates her. I think it's kind of funny to see like how, I mean, a person at a job, if they're really working, and you see someone above them that's being lazy and slacking off. I mean, and it's really, it really is like, it makes you think, you know, what if that was me, would I be outside smoking? I don't know. But, um. <laughs> <laughs> Better watch that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether anybody else does their job or not, you need to be diligent and work. You know, have you ever thought about it this way? Some of you have, have jobs, you know. Would you rather have a job where you don't do anything or a job where you work real hard all the time? Work. Yeah. It's really more interesting, a job where you work hard. You know, it takes some effort. But a job where you do nothing is boring. Yes. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, and sometimes people can make their jobs such that they do nothing. 
but they're really making them they're themselves miserable. Well, look at verse uh, 20. We've seen this before, that your children have a big impact on your emotional well-being. You know, a wise son, man, it'll bring his parents so much gladness, but a foolish son just inflicts all kinds of pain on his parents. Um, so, guys, you have a lot more impact on your parents than what you think. And you can make their lives miserable, or you can make them joyful. Makes a lot of difference to them. And honestly, you can probably have more impact on their spiritual life than what you think about. You know, when you, if you really love the Lord and trust the Lord and seek the Lord, it'll be an encouragement to your parents spiritually. All other things being equal. And if you don't, it may drag them down. You know, so we need to really be wise children. Comments and thoughts on 20? We keep on hearing this again and again. He keeps on telling this, this same passage. And I think by now, we've learned what it says. We've learned the meaning behind it. There's different things we can learn about it. But the thing we need to learn is to apply it. We need to learn to apply it in our lives. Whenever we see this verse, we see it again and again. We're, okay, we already talked about this. I'm tired of talking about We get this, let's move on. But we needed to take that and apply it to our lives. And instead of looking at the meaning behind it and finding out the knowledge of it, having the street smarts and actually applying it to our lives. Good point. Britain. Um, I was thinking of when I see myself and I see that I'm doing well spiritually, um, how it affects uh, my mom and just the fact that not only um, can I see that she, it seems like she's more spiritually focused as well, but our relationship is better as well. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about the problem starts with us. You know, if we remove that problem, you know, all else as well. It's a good principle. We have kind of talked a lot about that, haven't we? The problem kind of starts with us. You know, are you the kind of person who's always blaming somebody else for all your problems? Well, as we said, the common denominator in failed relationships is you. You know, isn't that kind of what you said? Uh, failed marriages or what? No, failed relationships. Or <laughs> failed marriages too. Um, so, you know, take personal responsibility. We need to change ourselves. Don't just think, well, you know, everybody's always mean to me. You know, I always have bad situations. Woe is me. Hey, change them by changing you. We need to be men and women who face responsibilities, who take responsibility, and deal with things with the right attitude. Look at verse 21. What does the foolish man think about folly? He loves it, yeah. His emotions are all like, wow. He likes it. You know, how foolish that is indeed. But a man of understanding walks straight. You know, his understanding causes him to have, you know, uprightness, righteousness. Um, but the fool loves his foolishness. And you wonder why. Again, don't you see people like that? They do wrong and they keep loving it. It's hurting them and they keep loving it. What is say? You can see that in extreme cases. What is an alcoholic love? Alcohol. Does that really help him? Does it really enrich his life? No. It really hurts him, but he still loves it. He still can't live without it. He craves it. How foolish for the fool to want the things that tear him down and destroy him. We don't need to be like that. And then look at verse 22. This is a little different. We may have looked at it once before. Uh, I think we did, perhaps in chapter 11. But uh, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. That's saying you ought to do what? <clears throat> Don't ask for advice. Ask for advice. Why? 
it will make you more successful. You know, you learn things when you seek advice from wise people. What would keep us from seeking advice from wise people? Pride. Pride in what sense? <laughs> yeah. Or we don't need the advice. I know everything already. You seek advice. What will that do for you? Those turns, if we're heading in the wrong direction, it'll turn us around. If we're heading in the right direction, we'll go Okay. Why? How, how will it work? I seek advice. How is that going to help me be wiser? Give us. Uh, it can give us different views or perspectives. Yeah, it can. Sometimes blind spots will be bared. Sometimes miscalculations will be uncovered. Sometimes some unforeseen obstacles will be shown to us. I mean, other people may point out things we hadn't thought about that will really help us. Uh, apply that to Bible study. What would be the ideal? That take two people, and you may think about this a little bit. See which philosophy is better. Here's a person who says, you know, I don't want to be influenced in my Bible study. I'm not going to listen to what anybody else says about the Bible. I don't want to read what anybody else says about the Bible. I'm going to come to my own conclusions. I'm going to read it for myself. And I'm going to decide for myself what it's saying. Now in a way that, sounds, that actually sounded pretty decent, didn't it? Versus the person who says, well, you know, there's a lot of things I won't know and understand, and so I really want to get as much help from other wise people as I can. And so I'm going to listen to people, I'm going to seek their understanding and advice, I'm going to read things others have said, and I'm going to try to get more information to help me understand it better. Which one's better? Isn't that obvious? It sounded good that, well, I don't want to be corrupted. I just want, I want to learn everything for myself. I'm just going to study it for me. I'm going to come to my own conclusions. I don't want to be influenced by anybody. Well, I understand you could be negatively influenced sometimes. You know, you could believe the wrong thing. You could swallow the wrong information, but then you could come to the wrong conclusions on your own too. <laughs> you know, it's not like, if I just study it for myself and I don't listen to anybody else, that my heart is pure and that I'm likely to avoid all the mistakes that other people have made. It is wise to seek good input from wise people. Many counselors help make the thing more successful. Would you like a president who didn't listen to anybody, he just studied it out for himself and decided on his own without ever considering other people's opinion, that would not be a good president. He wouldn't tend to be as successful. Obviously, we have to weigh out what we see here from others. But to just say, nope, I want to do this for myself, is not really wise. Those other areas, I mean, you're just in your life choices, you decide, you know, big life choices, like um, where are you going to go to college? Do you ever ask for advice or do you want to decide on your own? I'm going to look at it for myself and I don't want anybody else to tell me what to do. I'm just going to decide based upon what I think. You know, what you're going to do, <laughs> what you're going to do for a living. You say, you know, I don't want to be influenced about that. I'm just going to make up my own mind. Who you marry. <laughs> who you date if you date you know you're going to say well I don't need anybody else's advice you know this is my life it's my choice and nobody else is living my life so they can't tell me what to do I'm going to decide for myself and if I think this is the right person to marry I don't care what anybody else says about it why does that not work <laughs> How many times have you been married? No. Uh, yeah, what? What's wrong with that whole philosophy and mentality? 
These are trying to please ourselves. In James chapter 1, verses 14 following says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. When, and then when he lusts as conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. When we study for ourselves, when we choose for ourselves, when we do things for ourselves, it's for our own lust, it's for our own likings, it's for our own pleasures, and that will lead to death. Yes. You know, when you're dating somebody, uh, is there ever any uh, issues with uh, being objective? No. You know what I mean by that? Is, it, is your, is your um, you know, uh, judgment ever negatively impacted by your closeness to the person? Well, maybe it isn't for you, but have you ever seen any friends of yours that really don't seem like they're very wise about their dating and who they choose to date because they care about the person so much and they're so close to them that they like don't use their head? You've seen friends like that, haven't you? Well, maybe we might be like that once in a while. You know, your feelings sometimes really negatively affect your judgment. And so you get really close to this girl, to this guy, and you really like him, and you really feel all excited every time you're around them, and it's really awesome. And, you know, he, uh, he doesn't like to work. You know, he's never been able to hold a job very long. He fights with his parents, and with his siblings, and with his friends, and nobody ever treats him right. And, uh, you know, things like that. He, he, he hangs onto a car for about six weeks every time before he wrecks it. You know, uh, you know and so forth. You know, you start, you start seeing all that. Oh, I really love him. Oh, man, he's just so cool and all that. Well, you know, because you're, you're blind to some things. When you're really in love, you don't think about all those things. But somebody else is looking up on the outside and says, you know, uh, there's some problems here. You better get advice. And you better listen to the advice, especially on something like marriage that's so critical. It's going to impact your whole life. And you're just going to kind of say, well, I know what I'm doing. I sure don't need anybody telling me what to do about this because I know that this is the best thing. Wow. You know, so on any critical matter, Bible study, where you go to school, what you do for a living, where you're going to marry, get advice from wise people and don't just be defensive about it when they tell you something you don't want to hear. What do you think? I don't want to hear it. With things like marriage and going to school, I mean, even if you try to make the wisest choice possible, there are going to be things that you can't know without having experienced them. And getting the experience of other people help you make the best choice. Makes sense to me. I mean, you know, on lesser things, wouldn't you seek advice? Any of you uh, play sports? You know, uh, do you ever listen to people who played that sport for a long time and who've done it really well to get some advice as to how to train and how to play better and you know all that sort of stuff? You would do that because you want to improve. And so you listen to them because if they've been successful, then they can probably share some things with you that'll help you. To close ourselves off to that is really foolish. We know that when it comes to other things. If, if, you're, uh, you know, if you're trying to make money with investments, are you going to listen to uh, people who've made a lot of money with investments, or are you going to just kind of close your eyes and draw names out of the hat as to what you put your money into, and things like that? You know, it makes a lot of sense to talk to people who've been successful. Maybe in various things. I might even make some advice to talk to some, make some sense to talk to people who haven't been successful. <laughs> they might also have some words of wisdom in a negative sense. All right, other thoughts and comments on all that? Philip? Uh, it talks about the advisors. I mean, it's a broad attention right there. 
So each time he was seeking out advice, he wasn't just content with going to one person. He wanted to go to multiple people because they could confirm the advice or they could give him different ones that could make more practical sense. It reminded me of the Bereans. I mean, Paul went there and he delivers the gospel and he delivers the good news. And an apostle of God, and it talks about in Paul, he had the authority to command people to do things. And that was direct from God, but they said, you know, that's not enough for me. I need to dive into the Word. And just one advisor shouldn't be enough. Two, maybe not. We have to go back to the ultimate advice, which is God and His Word. Very good. Great principles. Let's learn from them. Another thing about this, um, like seeking counsel for your plans for everything, like has to do with patience, because it takes more time to talk to people and learn about it than to just go ahead and make a decision and you know. So. You're right. Yeah, it does. Okay. Verse 23, a man has joy in an apt answer. How delightful is a timely word. You know, isn't it just such a joy to be able to say the right thing at the right time? You know, the word that's appropriate, that's put at right the right moment, that's just such a great thing. You know, we talk a lot in Proverbs about words that aren't wise and weren't stated well and weren't timed well but you get that right word at the right time and it's awesome you know there's a lot of proverbs and a lot of principles in the bible that encourage that let's aim for that and then in uh, 24 the path of life leads upward for the wise that he may keep away from Sheol below you know, if you're wise, you're, the path of your life goes upward to heaven, not down to the grave. You know, so you think about the wise man ends up in a lot better place than the foolish man does. Probably better to be wise. Thoughts and comments to this point? John? Not only will you be uh, have life in heaven, but in the earlier Proverbs, it talks about having... Uh, years added on to your life and a longer life with that. Good point. I agree. You have more life you know, period uh, when you're serving the Lord and when you're acting with wisdom in all senses of the word. Look at 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud you know, he never, he never likes pride, but he will establish the boundary of the wicked. Now, the bound, or the boundary of the widow. Let me try that again. The boundary of the widow. Um, the, the boundary idea is like the boundary lines of the property. And one of the things that people would do to cheat each other out of territory, out of land, so they could get bigger fields and raise more crops, is they gradually move the boundary markers. <laughs> you know, if you do that, you know, slowly enough, and you know, somebody's not paying much attention, pretty soon you've got a lot more field than they do. <laughs> and uh, would you think that might be a special temptation to move the boundary markers uh, to to take over more of the field of the widow? Why? Yeah, she may not even be able to get out and look. You know, and she may not have much she could do about it if she did, because, you know, she probably wouldn't have a lot of clout. And so you could probably take advantage of a widow more easily in that, except for one thing. God's behind this. And God is a, it, he hates injustice to vulnerable people. You promote, you take advantage of somebody who can't defend themselves. You're going to face the Lord. He's going to be the one who's going to deal with that. You know, that's just a terrible thing. All right, comments and questions on that? In general, verse 26, the Lord detests evil plans. You know, 
Wicked people often strategize about how to bring others down. They scheme to try to injure the innocent and the helpless. But God knows what they're thinking. It's not just that doing it is an abomination of the Lord. He hates the plans. He, he hates the strategies. You know, he hates the whole way of thinking. It's not just what they do that's bad. It's the plan to do it that's also wrong. And the Lord knows about that. And it's an abomination to God. But pure words, pleasant words are, are pure. You know, much better to speak the right thing than a plot to do the evil thing. And God knows those things. And then in 27, he who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. Can you think in the Bible of some people who profited wrongly and their family was troubled as a result of it? Achan, remember how he took the stuff from Jericho that God had said no one was to touch? And what happened to his family? They were stoned by God. They were stoned by the people, but by the order of God. Can you think of anybody else in the Bible? Okay, they were killed. Not so sure about the family. I guess they ended up without parents or grandparents or whoever they might have been to somebody. Think of somebody else that impacted his family because of his uh, greed, really. David. Prodigal son, David. Yeah, David, maybe. That was his greed, not for money, but for a woman. Jacob. Jacob. Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers. All those are good, yeah. Several of those, I think, fit in that category. Let me tell you one I was thinking about. You probably haven't thought about this one. You remember Gehazi? Mm -hmm. What did Gehazi want? Actually, what did he get? Yeah, all that stuff from Naaman that Elisha had refused. You know, Gehazi went along behind him and said, Oh, Elisha changed his mind. There were some people traveling and they need some stuff. And, you know, because he wanted it for himself. So he lied about it and and took it and hid it. Then he went in before Elisha. Remember what happened to Gehazi and his descendants? Yeah, who said Leprosy. Yeah. 2 Kings 5.27 Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. He troubled his whole family line because of his greed. So that's something to think about. You know, you get money in the wrong way. It's not going to only have consequences to you, but to your family as well a lot of times. Don't cheat in any way, period, to get money. Or for anything else. Bribery, cheating, illicit schemes are wrong. What's the kind of cheating that's most common among young people? School. Is it wrong to cheat in school? Why? You're not doing it yourself. So what are you doing when you cheat in school? You're lying. Absolutely. You put your name on that test, and then you put somebody else's answers on it. You just lie. You, you, by putting your name on it, you were saying, I am the one who wrote these answers. I suspect that even in this group, if people were honest, several of you have done that. You can't do that. It's not right. You know, we have to do things honestly, whether grades are involved or money's involved. All right, comments or questions on that? All right, how about 28 to 33? Well, it's Here's the prayer of the righteous, and the light of the eyes rejoice in the heart, and the good report makes the bones blessed. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise, and he who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and the poor honor is humility. Yeah, I think we didn't read 28, but let's do that. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. 
but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Now do you see the difference there? What does the wise man do, the righteous man do, that the wicked man doesn't? He thinks before he speaks. He doesn't just react emotionally and gush out whatever comes to his mind. You know, he ponders how to answer. But what does the wicked man do? Yeah, he recklessly and impulsively says whatever comes to his mind. You know, and he'll say, after all, I was just being honest. Or something like that. There is a big difference in the self-restraint of the righteous man when he speaks and the wicked man who whatever he feels at the moment, that's what he's going to say. Use your head and think before you speak. <coughs> Ever been a time when it would have been a lot better off for you if you had thought before you spoke? Yeah. We've probably all been there and done that. Don't let yourself have to be there and do that again. Questions and comments? 29. What is this saying? The Lord's away from the wicked that listen to the Yeah. And he listens to the righteous, he doesn't listen to the wicked. You know, if you turn away from God, don't expect God to be hearing you when you pray. Sometimes people don't think about that. It's one of the blessings you sacrifice when you abandon the Lord. He quits listening. I don't mean by that he doesn't know what you said. He knows what everybody said, but he doesn't respond. You know, you're not, he's not going to bless you with what you've asked for when you're not trying to do his will. That's a pretty scary thought. And it's a great blessing that the Lord will hear the prayers of the righteous person. Comments? Jacob? Uh -huh. I think a lot of times we get all depressed because we want to know why God has, we feel so distant from God and we think God has rejected us. But we never realize that it was us who rejected God first. And that's usually the last thing we realize. We always think it was Him who distanced Himself. But we, we don't want to admit that it was us who distanced ourselves from God. Yes, exactly. Good point. 30? What will make you happy? Yeah. You know, think about the era when you didn't have instant communication. Maybe you hadn't heard from somebody in a long time, but you really loved and cared about them. How would you feel when you heard good news? Yeah, that would be even more exciting. It's exciting for us when we hear good news now, even in the era of instant communication. And I think even more so when it might go for a long time and you wouldn't hear from somebody that you knew well. Uh, so it just, it just gives vigor. <laughs> you know, it, it just makes you happy when you hear good news. Um, and then in 31 and 32, we are back to what we keep saying in Proverbs. So this reminds me of uh, what Cameron had said earlier about the wise and foolish sons. Here is a point that Proverbs never tires of making. Why do you think he repeats this so much? He, who, he whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself. And who, he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Why does he talk so much? about listening to reproof. We all, yeah, it's going to happen. It's kind of the turning point of, you know, are you going to be foolish and go downhill from here on out or wise and benefit? Yeah, it is so critical and we struggle with it so much. And, and, and when we ignore correction, criticism, we just hurt ourselves so badly. You know, we hear life-giving reproof. We think, ah, they just don't understand. They don't live in my life. They don't understand. If they were, they were living in my shoes, they wouldn't say that. Well, who are they to tell me what to do anyhow? They messed up in their life, too. You know, things like that. 
how foolish it is to neglect the life-giving reproof. If I want to be wise, I need to listen to rebuke. And, and so the fact that he says this over and over again means it's really critical. You really need to pay attention when a wise, godly person tells you something that you didn't want to hear. I mean, that's what, that's what God said in Proverbs. What do you think? You're going to listen to it? You're going you're gonna to be affected by those things? Are you going to allow yourself to learn from others? <coughs> and then the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. You know, if, if I want to be wise, I not only need to listen to rebuke, but I need to fear the Lord and be humble. You know, really seek the Lord's will, really respect Him, and have the humility that lets me listen to the Lord and listen to others. It all goes back to the humility of recognizing I don't know everything, and I need the Lord's will, and I need godly people in my life correcting me and telling me what to do. And not just the kind of people who... And we've talked a lot about kind of defensively rejecting wisdom... What about the kind of person who always says, oh, thank you, that, that was so helpful, and ignores every bit of it? Some people are, are too polite, they're too people-pleasing to ever <coughs> say anything other than, oh, that was so nice, but they don't have any intention of paying any attention to it. You know, we've got to listen to it, we've got to fear the Lord, we've got to be humble. Those are such keys to progressing in the path of wisdom. Comments and questions? I think it's kind of ironic how, again, passage of humility, and that pretty much sums up kind of applying all that we talk about and staying humble. That's really the solution. Really is. I mean, you know, humility is what makes us have a receptive heart to the Lord and to wise brothers and sisters. Because I see I need help. I know that God has ways to bless me in this. But the proud man knows everything. So how can any correction help him? What about with your parents? If they're godly, and they're giving you righteous advice, you think, well, I don't need, I don't need to listen to you. You know, why would I want to know what you had to say? How foolish. You know, it's like you know, it's almost like imagining you were trying to get somewhere you didn't know how to go, and God put some people along the way to give you directions, but you decided you didn't want to listen to the directions, you wanted to go your own way. Do you see that might be a problem with that? <laughs> like you might not ever get there? Like you might end up in some bad place even? You know, you want to listen to the people God's put in your life to direct you. Godly people now, not like Rehoboam listened to the foolish counselors. There are a few people not to listen to, but when it's righteous, spiritual, godly people, listen. And, and not just listen like, okay, I heard you. Listen like, okay, I'll do it and do it. Pass. Um, I have a question in verse 32, it says, whoever ignores, whoever ignores instruction despises himself. I guess I don't understand that because it kind of sounds to me like if you ignore instruction, you're thinking all about yourself and you're self-focused. So why would it say that you, he who focuses on himself despises himself? Good question. I think he means that's the result. You end up, when you despise instruction, you end up hurting yourself and hating yourself. That's the result of that because you didn't apply the instruction that could have helped you. You didn't think of it that way, but it was actually bad for you. John, just, I uh, just like uh, Just like a huge spares a rod, hates his child, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Hate in the sense of it hurts him. 
And in verse 33 it says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. Here we're told that is the instruction, and in Acts we're shown an example of how people saw it and were instructed and then applied it. And um, in Acts chapter um, 19, verses 17 following, they had just like, these spirits had um, just beating up the people trying to cast out the spirits. And um, verse 17 following says, This became known to all both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them in the name of the Lord. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many of all those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing and mightily prevailing. All these different things they did, they magnified God, they feared God, they believed, they confessed, they disclosed their own practices, they burned their books, and God's word and the word of the Lord was growing and mightily and prevailing. And that's what the instruction of the fear of the Lord does. Amen. Good passage, good example for us. Alright, very good. Well, I didn't really think it was going to take us this long to do one chapter, but it was a great chapter. I really appreciate great comments today. Really good focus. Appreciate you all paying attention, staying alert. Very encouraging. And uh, praise God for passages like these. And isn't it just, it never ceases to amaze me, how did God know what we were going to be like 3,000 years ago? Isn't that amazing? that you would never think these words were written that long ago. They sound like they were written yesterday uh, about us. So God's word is always relevant and it's always helpful to us. Uh, let's certainly constantly seek to apply it.